0: This is an ABC podcast. People will go, oh, this part of your ethnic features is ugly, but this part, I want this part so bad. Your nose is ugly, but your brown skin, I want it. Your hair, it's nasty, but your lips are gorgeous. And it's like... You can't pick and choose. You're gonna look like a mismatched puzzle of different races, and you're not gonna look pretty. You're just gonna look confused.
1: When you talk about mixed races, all of a sudden, all oh, you're beautiful because you look ethnic, but not too ethnic. So what the mixed race and racial ambiguity demonstrates is that there is a certain range where we find things to be acceptable. It just reflects an ongoing problem of how unforgiving the society can be when it comes to variations of appearance.
2: When you fill your lips to make it look like you are a black or brown woman, you don't have to deal with the racism that also comes along with being a black or brown woman. That's the part where I kind of get angry about because it's like you get the benefits of being from a a culture without getting the full reality.
3: That's Talia Olatia and I'm Siobhan Marin and this is Face Value, a four-part series exploring the beauty and cosmetic enhancement industries. And for this episode, Talia's going to co-host. Hello and
2: thanks for having me. You're listening to episode two, Ethnic Ambiguity and the Kardashian Effect. Yes, those Kardashians, who made this full-lipped Samoan Italian woman feel like she needed lip fillers, even though I also loved the Kardashians because I finally saw my body type represented. It's such
3: a paradox, and I feel like that tension kind of embodies what this whole episode is about.
2: Yeah, we're diving into things like blackbaiting, representation, cultural appropriation and the difference between looking ethnically ambiguous, like I do naturally, thanks mum and dad, versus tweaking your features on purpose. Right, and those tweaks, they can come from makeup, hair, injectables
3: or other forms of cosmetic enhancement. And we're seeing beauty trendsetters like the Kardashians and Jenners lean into this ethnically ambiguous aesthetic. But they're not alone. I mean, singers like Rita Ora and
2: Australian rapper Iggy Azalea, they've also been accused of this. Also, social media filters that can whitewash people of colour and tan up Caucasian people are definitely not helping. They're just making us more confused about what's real and what's natural in each other's appearances. Exactly. I think it's super complex
3: and we're going to try and tackle it. Actually, speaking of social media, Talia... We both grew up in the days before Instagram when magazines, not phone screens, were the portal into fashion and beauty.
2: So I loved magazines growing up. So your girlfriends, your Dolly, your Cosmo, your Cleo. When they started talking about makeup trends, I, for the longest time, was like, yeah, I can do that. And then I would put it on my face and not understand why it didn't work for me in the same way that it did like the white models on the pages or my white friends. I've always just been very aware that when it comes to beauty, that I probably wasn't the target audience, but at the same time, too, those beauty standards kind of was everywhere around me. So I've just for the very longest time been trying to work out how I see myself and whether I consider myself beautiful, because I've always kind of been comparing myself to, I guess, more Eurocentrised white versions of beautiful. I mean, we are thankfully
3: seeing more variations of beauty celebrated today. You know, with celebrities like singer and makeup mogul Rihanna leading the charge. But it sucks that you had to experience that, Talia. As someone of Polish-Irish background, I didn't have to deal with that kind of othering when I flick through a fashion magazine.
2: And this is like one of the things that I really struggle with sometimes because it feels at times throughout my life the way that I've looked has been put in a box. Like when I was on the online dating, you know, sites, guys would say, oh, you're pretty for a brown woman. I don't normally find brown women attractive, but I find you attractive. And I would go, oh, okay. Like, I don't know why you're telling me that. Like, (laughs) it seems like casually racist in what you're saying. And then you're telling me like, I should be thankful for that. I always feel like there's, a butt, like a you're pretty for a butt like kind of thing coming on. And I think that that is sometimes the kind of problematic way that people grow up, that they don't realise that they're limiting themselves when they're consuming so much information from this industry.
3: growing up like were there any of your features in particular that you were made to feel insecure about
2: Oh, definitely. Like, I'm very lucky. This sounds terrible when I say I'm lucky and I haven't had like really bad racism is that my skin colour is like an Australian went to Bali for a few weeks and came back with a good tan. Like, I haven't had as bad racism based on my skin colour as I definitely know that, you know, friends and family members have had. So the things for me that I was always really self-conscious about was my lips and my hair. And my hair was because it's like I'm someone in Italian, my hair is like, it's big, it takes up a lot of space. And I remember when I was like, in Graves 3 or 4, I went to a hairdresser, a white hairdresser, and she said to me, you have six times the amount of hair as a normal person. And you can imagine how much I fixated on normal person. Um, So for like the longest time, I was just trying to beat my hair into submission, literally, like with our household iron, with straighteners, everything that I could to make my hair neat and smooth. And I just guess less than the bigness that it was. And the second thing it's kind of crazy now because I get so many compliments on my lips and the size of my lips, but at a time when full lips wasn't seen as being attractive and people didn't go get lip fillers and they didn't overline their lips, it's something you can become very self-conscious about and I think that that probably says a lot about what the standards of beauty were in being like petite or like dainty or something like that that I always just felt like my hair was too big and my lips were too big. Um and it's it's weird because now I'm kind of living at a time where those things are wanted and celebrated and yet at the same time too I was just like oh I went through so much turmoil about it before. It's crazy to
3: think that 20 years ago you were teased for your natural lips and now they're like a feature that so many men and women are wanting to replicate through injectables. Like it goes to show what a fickle industry it is you know. And I suppose when one standard of beauty is constantly rammed down our throats, it's no wonder people start to feel insecure and some people want to change themselves completely.
2: Yeah, and I totally know that feeling. And it's still something that I'm coming to terms with and haven't ruled out.
3: And that's something that Natasha experienced as a teen. We met her last episode when she told us about never feeling pretty at school growing up with thick brows, curly dark hair and what she called her ethnic nose, Natasha said no one looked like her. So she started getting her lips injected with filler when she was 18
4: and wanted her first rhinoplasty straight out of high school. My parents were never, like, actually against me getting a nose job. It was, you know, obviously it's kind of like a cultural thing too because a lot of Middle Eastern people do get nose jobs. Um, My mum has a nose job, so it's kind of like she can't ever say to me you can't have one, Um, but it was more so that, like, you're too young, like, let yourself grow, like, make the conscious decision when they didn't think I was mature enough to make that decision, and I think that was, you know, fair for sure. So Natasha saved a bit of money, and then when she was 20, she went to the Middle East to visit family. I wanted to take advantage of the opportunity to get a, like a nose job because it's significantly cheaper there. And at that age, like I could afford like a $5,000 nose job, maybe not so much a $20,000 one. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. And um, I, it's kind of weird over there because there's not much research you can do because it's all word of mouth. And a lot of the doctors there don't really market themselves the way that they do like, you know, here. And um, I was just really hesitant. And then um, I did like a little trip to Egypt, actually, uh, during that time. And I met a girl and she had the most amazing nose. I was like, who did your nose? I need to know where I'm going to go to him. And that's how I booked the appointment with that doctor. I didn't even do any further research. So silly of me. Um, And I did my rhinoplasty. That decision to get a nose job overseas, it had plenty of consequences. Um, my breathing was almost pretty much ruined it was really bad I was sniffling 24 7 and people weren't even noticing it like people were like what's wrong like you're always sniffling it's like yeah I just couldn't breathe properly um aesthetically the cartilage started to like collapse inwards and in my nose and it just didn't look nice like you know just aesthetically Functional, functionality wise, it just wasn't good. So I decided to do um, a revision rhinoplasty in Sydney um, with a doctor that I have done a lot of research about and I'm very happy with it. My breathing, he, he did make it aware to me that he can't like fully make it, you know, 100%, but he can improve it and he has. It's not perfect, it's still a bit obstructed, but um, it's improved and I don't sniffle um, as much, but And aesthetically, like I could have not asked for a better nose. You said like you grew up watching shows like Botched Mm -hmm. and
3: there's so many people who go and get surgeries done and just the doctor's not great. Yeah.
4: Were you a bit like, oh, I can't believe it happened to me? Yes, 100%, 100%. And it actually ate at me mentally because it was more like, wow, I just put myself through the most like traumatizing thing like it's it's really hard to have surgery like that's of what i think really hurts you when you are botched it's because you've you're so mentally invested in this you know really big decision and you know the feelings prior to it and you know the aftermath and the recovery and it's not even about the money to be honest with you it's the it's the experience that you put yourself through and to have to redo it it's really really draining and it's sad almost because you think like fuck like I fucked up you know and like you said like you know we're aware of this type of stuff especially like you know when you're watching it and you you know I did grow up watching that show and yeah I did actually think like wow like I'm I'm literally botched (laughs) I'm one of those people
3: (laughs) so Talia listening to Natasha what do you think oh man she breaks my heart Natasha's story isn't unique I mean, before COVID, cosmetic tourism was a big thing. Many people went overseas for procedures.
2: Like I totally understand if she saw someone whose nose was good and goes, yep, you went to a good surgeon and he did that or she did that, I totally believe you. There is a trust that goes into that no amount of research can change. And the point that she made about, you know, what happened when it was botched and it went bad is that when people like the Kardashians get surgery and then get it reversed... They exist in a world of privilege that they're going to the best medical experts that can take it away and it's not noticeable and they don't have to live with what goes wrong. And so, of course, there are so many people who would fall to the perils of when that is not done right.
3: It's a really important point about how the lack of access to money or reputable information can
2: lead people to make decisions that they might later regret. Right, and even celebrities can regret it. Take supermodel Bella Hadid, who recently made those comments about her own nose job. Right, so she told Vogue that she wishes she didn't
3: get a nose job at the age of 14.
2: I think they're Dutch and Palestinian and she had more of the Palestinian nose. And she used to get compared to her sister, obviously, supermodel Gigi Hadid, because she had more of the all-American nose. So she felt like she was the ugly sister. And that's why, I mean, these comparisons that I have with supermodels is that you're Bella Hadid and you're not happy with the way your nose looks. So you can understand how A person on the street might also not be happy with how their nose looks, but they might not have the resources to do it.
3: And the thing that really struck a chord with people around the world was Bella saying that she wished she'd kept the nose of her
2: ancestors because she could have grown into it. And I get the ancestors bit, but acceptance can be so hard because maybe she could have accepted it, but maybe others in her industry wouldn't.
3: Yeah, there's definitely a tension at play. And it's something that Petroni, a 26-year-old model and influencer,
5: told me about. So my mom is from a country called Zambia and my dad's from a country called Congo, both in Africa, um, and I was born here. So from a young age, my parents got me into singing and modelling and it was something that I wanted to do. Um, and I think just having them just be super, super supportive of me. Um, one thing that I do remember is my parents, you know, making sure that they were always telling me that, I, yes, I'm black, yes, I'm beautiful, um, and just making sure that, yeah, that I really believed it. Talking to Petroni,
3: or ambitious as she prefers to be known online, I was honestly struck by her self-esteem. And I mean that in the best way. It was so healthy.
5: But she did consider changing one part of her face in her early 20s. So I always wanted a nose job. Like, always, 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 always. Because I wanted my nose to be, like, a bit more, like, thinner and a bit pushed up. I just felt like my nose has potential like, it could, it could do better. <laughs> she really liked the nose of singer and actress Jennifer Hudson. I had to Google it. With a bit of tweaks because, um, you know, you can't be like, hey, give me this nose, Like, might not suit my face. She's black, so I don't know, I liked her nose. But in saying that, like, you know, even just like Kim Kardashian, who is a very, like, almost basic example, but she's a great example because everybody knows who she is and just, you know, seeing her nose changes over time and I'm like, oh, I really want that. But her partner wasn't keen on the idea. Then it was actually my fiancé now, who, you know, was like, no, you don't need a nose job. And I was always like, you're just saying that, like, you know. Um, and then I was just kind of thought about it and just sat on it and said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to embrace my culture. You know, if everyone else can be embracing the culture, getting BBLs and lip injections, and I'm going to embrace my nose. This is a black person's nose. This is, not every black person obviously doesn't have the same nose, but my nose, like, yeah, it's just, it's who I am, it's part of my, my like, my history, my background, so I will, I think I'll, yeah, be keeping it. Talia, how did you feel hearing Petroni's
3: story and thought process there?
2: I totally understood every single step on her journey as she was doing that, and also, like, the proof that it's just not enough to have a significant other say, but I like your nose because you are still going, yeah, but you have to say that, you love me. It's like that narrative that's also going in ahead. So, yeah, I totally understand because when you're told that your nose is different, then you just want your nose to fit in.
3: And this is where we get into the murky and super nuanced issue of ethnic ambiguity. Natasha knows all too well what changing your appearance through cosmetic surgery does to how people perceive you.
4: My background, I'm Aramaean, which is not Armenian. My mum's side is Armenian, though. But like my dad's side, the Aramean is very similar to Assyrians or like Chaldean people. So like we come from like a place in Southeast Turkey, and we have like our own language and stuff like that. It's just um, my grandparents migrated to Lebanon for refuge. So our family is kind of just everywhere around the world. But um, due to persecution, but it's very political. Like there's something in the fact that each of our features carries a bit of our like cultural
3: heritage mm-hmm. in the past. Yeah.
4: I don't know, like is there any yeah. part of you that's like, oh. Sad about it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. sometimes, for sure. Like, you know when it started hurting me actually when I have people, especially on TikTok because, um, you know, of people are more likely to say things to you online than they will say to you in real life and a lot of my audience is actually US-based. Um, so I have a lot of people saying to me, like, because I, I identify as a woman of colour. And people were like, how dare you call yourself a woman of color? You're not a woman of color. And I'm like, yes, I am. They're like, you have absolutely no features that correlate with a woman of color. And you're white passing. Like, you're a white passing woman. Like, you should not, like, you know, say you've gone through this. Like, you have not gone through any discrimination. You have not gone. But they don't know my life story. Like, they they just see me from my social media. So they don't know that I've naturally do have an ethnic nose. They don't know that my hair is very curly. Like, they don't know the, you know, the torment I went through growing up and I don't have to explain that to them, but it's like, and I'm not bothered to explain that to them, but it's like, you know, that's what people are seeing from me face value. Just, and that's so wrong like no like you know I'm, my, I'm Middle Eastern I'm very 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 proud of being Middle Eastern as well like you know especially with the background that I am like my people have gone through so much persecution like we've gone through so much discrimination like it, it's it's really like hurtful when I start to think oh my god like people are like thinking I'm I'm white passing like like you know they're eradicating like what I am you know, and I think that's also like my fault because I've, I start to think it's my fault because I've changed my ethnic features. So Talia, when
3: Natasha began altering her appearance, you know, through cosmetic enhancement, the nose jobs, lip filler and Brazilian butt lift, people online found it hard to
2: place her. And now just an explainer, white passing is when someone is perceived as being white, when they're not, and that perceived whiteness gives them privilege.
3: Yeah, and Natasha's experience of this taps into the complexities of ethnic ambiguity and beauty, which we're exploring in this episode.
2: She is a proud woman of colour because it's not just what her face looks like, it's not just what her body looks like that means she is a woman of colour. Being a woman of colour is being from a culture, it's being from a heritage, it's being from all these other things that influence who you are as a person as opposed to just what you look like. And I can understand why she would be pissed off when people try and tell her who she is and what her life has been like.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, Hi, I'm Eve St. James Aquino. I'm originally from the Philippines. I've moved to uh, Sydney to do my PhD in bioethics and philosophy of medicine, specifically looking at the ethics of framing ugliness as a pathology.
3: One very foggy wet day, I travelled down the coast to meet Eve. He moved here to do his postdoctoral research at the University of Wollongong.
1: In terms of background, I'm a physician. I have a physician license back in the Philippines, but I shifted to philosophy. So I'm more of a trained philosopher and a practicing philosopher at the moment.
3: Studying medicine and then philosophy meant Eve was well-placed to look at Asian blepharoplasty or Asian eyelid surgery.
1: So when you talk about East Asian eyelid, that's the absence of a double lid fold um, or a puffy upper lid that makes it appear as if you don't have an upper lid fold and a lot of eye surgeries for east asian is meant to create that double lid to create uh what they describe as wider eyes i don't know what actually that means or an almond eye
3: and what did you find in your research
1: did confirm uh, my suspicion that Uh, Asian eyes or East Asian eyes are being portrayed as a deformity. Because a lot of times cosmetic surgeons or even the field of cosmetic surgery have this awkward um, position in medicine, whether it's a legitimate practice or not. Why? Because they're not really treating diseases. And because of that, a lot of people in the field and even outside um, the medical field feel that cosmetic surgery is quite flippant. You know, it's not a real medical practice. But once you frame the problem, the aesthetic problem, as a medical issue, it will give this sense of credibility. Eve
3: noticed another trend. The surgery was being advertised online and in print as something that improves health.
1: Whether it's psychological well-being, whether it's your eyesight, which is not proven, by the way, <laughs> your upper lid fold has no impact on your eyesight. They, they start, you know, conflating the issue of beauty and ugliness with health and disease. And that was quite, I think that's a very effective marketing uh, to the detriment, obviously, of our conception of what health and disease is.
3: Eyelid surgery is common in many Asian countries. It's also offered here in Australia. And Eve says society's pressure to conform is often a driving factor.
1: So especially for um, in Western countries where you have Asian minorities, um, a lot of times they get uh, marginalized or they get bullied because of differences in appearance. And that's usually focused on the eyes, and the the slur chink, for example, that's very eye-based. So there are motivations in terms of uh, psychological that's coming from the society itself.
3: I guess one of the impacts of cosmetic surgery or enhancement on the face is that you can often be taking away the cultural features that you have and like the lineage that's been passed down through generations mm-hmm. as a person with Filipino background. Yeah. How does that make you feel?
1: Uh, it, it, it was challenging. Um, it, it became quite personal after a while when I was doing my, my work. I thought I could distance myself from it. But every now and then, because you're talking about appearance and you go and look at yourself in the mirror every morning, you start sort of <laughs> a lot of the things you're reading and finding. It gets in your head as well. Um, it's a complex issue about what people should do with their appearance what people can do with their appearance I'm quite agnostic about cosmetic surgery and that surprises people I think um, people women specifically should be able to do whatever they want with their body my argument is against medicalizing or using medicine as an excuse to do something that has nothing to do with disease or health I know the criticism that a lot of people who undergo, for example, double eyelid surgery is like a race traitor, (laughs) like they're um, betraying their heritage.
3: Race traitor. It sounds a bit like the white passing accusation thrown at Natasha on social media. But like Talia's pointed out, Eve says we carry culture in ways that are more than skin deep.
1: I want to acknowledge that heritage and culture is more than appearance. And we don't want to reduce, we don't want that criticism against cosmetic surgery, Asian cosmetic surgery, as something that reduces culture and heritage just to the, um, the eyes. And I think a lot of people who go through these procedures um, still want to speak their language, still want to connect their culture. So I don't want people to think that, um, you know, we're reducing culture to just one body part.
3: Eve's big concern is when cosmetic practitioners frame ugliness as a pathology, like a disease or a deformity that needs to be medically fixed.
1: So these are um, people who have normal appearance, but they either they themselves perceive themselves to be ugly or the society judged them to be ugly.
3: Yeah, okay. I want to ask how social media yeah. is affecting those standards of beauty and ugliness.
1: Yeah, definitely. The Instagram face uh, that's been influencing how people want to change their face so apparently there are reports that cosmetic surgeons are saying that clients are coming to them saying they want to change their face based on specific filters uh either in social media or snapchat and some cosmetic surgeons have also reported people wanting rhinoplasty to change their nose but based on the cosmetic surgeons judgment there's nothing wrong with the nose but apparently it's the way people take photos and because they take selfies in front of them they're holding the phone in a strange way that increases the size of the nose so it's a very weird perceptual thing that's influencing their self-image it's not a direct reflection it's the way they hold their phone and that's why people are concerned about consumption of cosmetic surgery among young people because young people's bodies change they, it's undergoing change so you don't know what the final size of your breast, what the final size of your um butt or chest or the shape of your face the shape of your you know this the the fat in your cheeks and your and and your upper lids those will change but Because it seems people are concerned that people are going through surgery at such a younger age, they don't understand that their body's still changing.
2: Oh, I would hate to be a young person on social media. I think, you know, as a 35-year-old woman, I got to see how things started at the start. And... Like, I can still have that kind of perspective when I look at social media, Instagram filters, because there are so many things that social media can very easily perpetuate so they'll be like oh we'll make your lips bigger or we'll like you know make your eyes uh, like a more almond shape or we'll do something but at the same time they're not designed for people of colour because when you put on that filter it's like you get a grey tone it's like it whitewashes you and so it's just like oh so there is still this idea that those beauty constructs are still with either white skin or you are supposed to look more tanned. And so, yeah, social media kind of does do a lot of damage (laughs) and the extent of maybe the body insecurities that people carry around just because they are comparing themselves on social media.
3: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm 31, but I've found that I need to be deliberate with how I use social media so I don't fall into that trap. But for teenagers today, I think it's way more difficult you know, so much of their lives play out on Instagram and TikTok. And when everyone around you is using some kind of beautifying filter, you're going to want to do the same. Well,
0: I mean, there was a whole period of my life. I mean, I'm still like kind of in it. I couldn't take photos of myself without filters that actually changed
3: my features. That's Kina. I actually met her mum, Dr Iman Joshi, first because she's a cosmetic injector. When we were chatting, Iman mentioned that her 14 year old wanted to get lip filler. She made it clear that's off the table until she's 18. But I was curious to meet Keena myself.
0: And it started out because there were these normal filters that would just be like, oh, cute hearts. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Or like a nice background. And then i take the photo and I was like, is that what I really look like? And then i try try it again and it would slim down my nose. If it was from the side, it would make my nose look upturned. It would make my lips bigger. It would make my eyes bigger. It would make my face slimmer. It would give me a jawline that I knew I didn't have in reality. And I was just like, am I not pretty otherwise? I was like, I look fine without filters. And then it came to the point where I could not take a photo without a filter because I would look at myself and I would find all these little faults. And I was just like, that's awful because with those filters on, I looked like a white person. Like, they would significantly lighten my skin, and I already have very pale skin, but you know, I'd go from looking like pretty tanned to being like paper white. And, you know, they'd make my lips bigger, and they'd just kind of very visibly slim down my nose to the point where it was kind of scary. Um, And I was just looking at myself and I was like, why can't my nose be slimmer? Why is my nose like this? You know, why can't my lips be bigger? Why can't my face have more of a structure to it instead of being so like round? And like, I've kind of stopped doing that because I was just like, I think I look really cool with or without filters, but it's still like a work in progress.
3: Talia, it feels like Kina is so aware of the problems that social media poses, yet she still wants filler to make her lips more symmetrical, in her words. But I think not all teenagers would be critically engaging with Instagram to the same
2: extent. I think that the problem with social media is that if you're looking at that all the time or you're you're feeling like, oh, I've got to post myself and I will take like, you know, we've all been there where we take like 50 photos and only select one and that's if we really like that photo, it can very easily make you fixated on the way you look. And once you start fixating on the way you look, then you can start looking for improvements.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've only played with using filters, You know, the ones that give you the big lips and the beautiful eyebrows, etc. And it can really mess
2: with your mind. I don't think I would have a lot of fun being a teenager growing up now.
3: Can I ask, have you used any filters on social media?
2: Absolutely, I have. (laughs) Um, It's one of those things where it's so... Like, when I use them, I always am just like oh, why am I doing this? And it's like, oh, because I just feel like I haven't put makeup on. But then I'm like, why am I taking a selfie if I don't feel comfortable enough to do it without a, like, a filter? And I get, I totally get wanting to look like a better version of yourself.
3: And I guess it's a question of when you stop being a better version of yourself and you start being, I don't know, like someone else. The thing is, Kina says heaps of teenage girls are fixated on becoming Instagram models and she worries about that.
0: Because ultimately, it's like the unattainable body. Um, it's very much centered around. Um, oh, I'm probably going to go off on a rant about this. No, it's very much centered around, like, primarily, you know, white women having it, like, racially ambiguous features, you know, like those big lips, the, like, very, I guess, Middle Eastern and South Asian, like, brows and eyes, and, like, black bodies you know those kinds of things and it's just very unsustainable because like nobody actually looks like that you can't just have a combination of all these features and they don't even look good in real life they look good because of photoshopping and lighting and i think wanting to look like an instagram model is so toxic like You know, we've seen so many like younger girls, like around my age, if I went and asked like, do you have insecurities? What do you, do you hate anything about yourself? So many girls will be like, oh, you know, I hate my body, I hate my face. I hate how my lips look or my eyes look or, you know, if you ask them like, do you want to get surgeries when you're older? So many girls will say, yes, I can't wait.
2: Yes, Keena raises so perfectly the problematic part of ethnic ambiguity when people intentionally alter their appearance to look like they're from a different race. Right, and as Keena points out, it
3: feels dehumanising to act as if we're these vehicles that can be customised or upgraded with different facial and racial features. People
0: will go, oh, this part of your ethnic features is ugly, but this part, I want this part so bad. You know, your nose is ugly, but your brown skin, I want it. Your hair, it's nasty, but your lips are gorgeous. And it's like, you can't pick and choose. You're going to look like a puzzle. You're gonna look like a mismatched puzzle of
3: different like races, and you're not gonna look pretty. You're just gonna look confused. And herein lies the problem. Thanks to makeup, cosmetic enhancement, and social media filters, people are literally coming across as different ethnicities. The Kardashians, for example, who I know you're very familiar with, Talia, they're Armenian and American, and their half-sisters, the Jennas, are Caucasian. But they've all been heavily criticised for appropriating Black beauty aesthetics, you know, from altering their body shape and skin colour to certain hairstyles
2: and even their elaborate acrylic nails. Their proximity to Black culture I don't think is coincidental. And there is so much about, you know, who they're dating, who their partners are, that I think they use to legitimise the way they look. And so instead of celebrating black culture, which they could be doing, it's that nitpicking of taking the things that they want from it and then putting it on themselves and then using that to make profits. There's also the thing of, well, are they blackbaiting?
3: You use the term blackbaiting, can also be blackfishing, which is when somebody is not of black background but trying to pass as it. And, I mean, you know, some characteristics might be a questionably dark tan, it might Mm. be
2: braids, it might be really big lips. It is really, really difficult because it doesn't feel like it's a true um, appreciation and it does just feel like appropriation. Yeah, and the Kardashians and Jenna's they aren't
3: alone. I mean, take Ariana Grande. So she's an American singer with Italian heritage, but she's been accused of building this racially fluid image. She's been criticised for coming across as black and Latina. And in late 2021, she was accused of Asian fishing. So altering her appearance to look Asian. It happened after she shared this photo where she's got winged black eyeliner and super light, almost white foundation. She also, honestly looks like a different person. Of course, after the controversy, she took the photo down.
2: Of course. The backlash shows it's not right. And celebrities shouldn't get to profit or benefit from looking ethnically ambiguous when people of colour don't. And let's be honest, celebrities don't have to deal with that dreaded where-are-you-from question. And I think that's a crucial part of this discussion that is often forgotten. The fact that there aren't many Samoan Italians around mean that people can't immediately place me when they see me. And so for the longest time, I've said that I look ethnically ambiguous. The problem when it comes to, you know, blackbaiting and that kind of thing where you're taking on another culture's looks and doing your own profit from that is that you still get to operate in the systemic structures that benefit white people. So like, you know, when you fill your lips to make it look like you are a black or brown woman, you don't have to deal with the racism that also comes along with being a black or brown woman. You don't have to deal with the idea that, you know, if you raise your voice in a meeting, you'll be seen as the angry black woman. That's the part where I kind of get angry about because it's like you get the benefits of being from a a culture without getting the full reality. Like Kylie Jenner built her whole career on having big lips and saying that, you know, she overlined her lips, she brought out her lip kit, she did all of this. And then all of a sudden, big lips was in. It wasn't, you know... Coloured women who were at the forefront of this movement to be like, big lips are great. And I think that that is also really problematic because it was like, well, how come those features that are now being celebrated now are not celebrated when they are on coloured women, but when they're on, you know, white women, then all of a sudden it seems cool.
3: Right, it's become a cultural reference point. You know, Kylie Jenner making big lips mainstream, So people first noticed her lips expanding in 2014, and she said it was from makeup and pouting and denied she'd had filler. By May 2015, in an episode of Keeping Up With The Kardashians, Kylie finally admitted to the procedure, and she copped some backlash for having lied, then managed to somehow capitalise on the controversy by launching her own makeup line in late 2015, which became this huge moneymaker.
2: Yeah, Kylie's lips inspired other people to get their own lips done. Heck, even I was considering it. That family has a lot of influence. Absolutely. And Natasha
3: had an affinity with the Jenners and their half-sisters, the Kardashians.
4: Growing up, I was around like mostly like white people, so you know, when people start calling you Kardashian, because, you know, obviously I'm, I'm I'm of Middle Eastern background. So like, you know, <laughs> they associate any dark hair and stuff like, oh, Kardashian. And um, so, yeah, it, start, it was a bit of an ego boost. Natasha says it was Kylie Jenner's transformation that had the biggest
3: impact on her and her journey to change her face and body.
4: She was always a beautiful girl. Just, you know, like just had a, her lips were very thin. She looked like a white girl, like, you know, just this cute little white girl, um, you know, and I, it's just crazy. Like now she just looks, looks like a middle Eastern baddie. Like she just looks like a completely different, um, person, completely different, like ethnic background.
2: Yeah, the fact that you've got this Middle Eastern woman and me, someone with a completely different heritage relating to the Kardashians and Jenners, goes to show that when you don't see yourself represented, you will find yourself in anyone who looks kind of like you. And I think this raises the point. We need to celebrate a much wider projection of beauty. And chasing
3: this limited beauty ideal can cost a lot of time, energy and money. The realities of injectables and enhancements aren't always pretty. There are real risks, and when surgery is involved, long and painful recovery periods. But these harsh realities don't stop some from getting work done, as you'll hear from Natasha next episode. She's going to share her journey to get killer curves by way of a Brazilian butt lift.
2: Reality check. That's next on Face Value Episode 3. Face Value is a production of ABC RN. This episode's hosted by me, Talia Olatia, and Siobhan Marin. Supervising producer is Sarah Allerley. Sound design by Bella Tropiano, And our executive producer is Amanda Smith. To hear more Face Value, search for RN Presents in the ABC Listen app. And follow
3: ABC Radio National on Instagram to see photos and extra content from the series.